Listen up. This is the Construction Mentor Podcast, newly branded, same host. My name is Ike. I am here to help you build a better future for you. That's right. We're here to cover how to build a better career, better lifestyle, and better mindset through a career in construction. I'm here to share all of my life experiences, not just within my 20 years of construction, but everything from day one. You may notice that I am not in the studio. The truth is that my construction career is lifting to new heights, of which I will share the details in the future. Additionally, with all of that going on, I'm very committed to being an elite, yes, an elite husband and father and being present for my family. So I need to find efficiency at all times, as we all should. Thus, I will be doing some episodes from my hotel room as I travel around North America, visiting all my projects and my clients. And I will share all of those experiences with you as well. Now, when it comes to my recent experiences, <clears throat> I've done a lot, 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 lot of preaching, banging the drum, whatever you want to call it, about the importance of managing expectations above all skills. And I don't think this is a construction industry thing. I think this is really, uh, really an anywhere in life thing, but in any business the most valuable skill that you can have that separates the winners from the losers is the ability to manage expectations. The ability to manage expectations. That's what keeps people wanting to see you again. Okay. That doesn't mean that you're dictating to them or that you're pulling their strings or that you're micromanaging them. What it means is you're communicating clearly what you are going to deliver them and what you expect to get delivered by them, right? So it's a two-way street. Now, again, this is especially for clients, this is the difference that makes them want to see you again. The next time they need a widget and the next time they need a project built, the next time they need help in the design process or they need a creative eye, they know that they want to call you first before anybody else and maybe even pay a premium to work with you instead of a low bidder, right? So now when we talk about managing expectations, I always laugh because if you talk to older guys, especially the older guys in construction, the popular thing that they say is to undersell and over deliver, right? Promise here. If you can see the screen, I'm hand, holding my hand low and deliver here. Now, Although that is a noble concept, and I totally understand where they're coming from, when people say undersell and over-deliver, that should be a red flag to you. Stop saying that, okay? It is, it is so overblown, it is so overused, and it has been for a long time. We need to stop lowering the standard. We need to start selling a high standard and do what it takes to maintain that high standard do what it takes to deliver that high standard to our clients, not just our clients, but to the people that we manage, to the people that we are managing up to, right? If you are a super managing up to a project manager, or if you are a foreman managing up to a super, or if you are a new apprentice on the job and you are managing up to a foreman and you, no matter what it is, whoever you are trying to shine to, you want to sell a high standard and you want to deliver a high standard on the design side same thing if if there's a deadline stop trying to push it back to buy yourself more time if you want to separate yourself if you want to create value for yourself whether it's your client or your manager sell high 
and deliver high. Okay. That might mean that you have to work a little bit harder. That might mean that you have to find a way to delegate. That might mean that you have to find a way to multiply, you know, your resources or the output of your resources might just mean that you have to work insane hours to get something done. But that is the difference between you creating enough value that people want to see you again, that people want to work with you again. Now, again, I'm going to repeat it one more time. When somebody sells to, when somebody says to undersell and over deliver, that is a red flag. We need to stop saying that. Above all else, it's insulting. It is insulting to do that to, especially your client. It frustrates the hell out of them. They know what you're doing. They understand that concept. They understand that whatever you're trying to give them, if you say it's going to take two weeks, in reality, it's probably going to be more like seven days or a week. And they want to know what they can shoot for. They want to, they have, they have value that they have to deliver to somebody else, right? So they're trying to reach for a high standard. And if you're insulting them by just giving them some kind of a cushy schedule, then you're, just, you're not bringing the value. They need somebody that's a partner and delivering value to the person that they need to deliver value to. Right. So maybe, maybe, you know, if you're building a schedule for somebody, or you're trying to commit to a timeline, maybe there's two versions. Maybe the answer is to give a cushy version. Hey, this is what I would communicate to whomever. This is what I think if the wind is at my back and everything goes right and I have X, Y, and Z, you know, go my way, I can get super aggressive. Maybe if we throw a little more money at it, I could work some overtime. Um, you know, maybe if we, throw a little bit more money at it and pull in some resources or you know what, because I love you so much because I really want to make you shine. I'm going to put in the extra effort and the extra time. Just think about what I just said. Picture somebody coming to your house and designing something or building something. And they say, Oh, you know, when it really might take them a week or two, they say, Oh, I need three or four weeks as opposed to somebody and you're, and you're thinking in your mind, Oh, that doesn't sound right. There's no way they'd need that much time. As opposed to somebody says, you know what? I'm slammed. I don't want to overcommit. I really think that if I can, you know, get aggressive, block everybody out, or these things go well, you might be able to get it in a week or you might be able to get it in two weeks. Here's what I need. If you give me a couple extra bucks, if you give me, you know, a couple hundred more dollars, I can definitely squeeze it out for you. You're creating a partnership to get to value on the other side, right? Now, <clears throat> like I said, your clients will find it insulting and they will get frustrated if they know that you're shoveling crap at them, if they know that you're trying to just shovel cushiness to them so that you can give yourself an excuse to deliver low. So maybe somebody else that has a higher standard on another project or something like that, maybe you, know, you can prioritize them and then put them on the back burner. It's not how they want to feel, right? So when your client does challenge you in those things, you need to understand that they're they're trying to fight that notion. They're trying to fight the fact that you're buying yourself time or you're trying to give yourself an excuse to deliver a lower value or, or on a longer duration. But the truth is, is that your client does not know what you know. They can't do what you can do. If they could, they would just do it themselves, right? So what does that what type of opportunity does that create for us? The opportunity that is created is that we can educate our client. 
right? So if you need a certain amount of time, you can educate them on that. What are your obstacles? What is within your control? What is not within your control that can get in the way? What are other things that need to be done in a certain order, right? I need my ductwork before I can frame my wall, before I can put in my, my door frame, before I can put up uh, electrical and drywall, right? So what is that process? You can educate them to enable them to make decisions or you can you can put them, you can make them feel like they're in the driver's seat and you're, or they're at least in the passenger seat, you're driving, you can go as fast as they'll let you go, right? You know, the flip side of that is that we're not just here to manage our clients' expectations. We're here to also manage our team's expectations, whether that is a junior engineer or a junior architect, or you're an architect and you're managing an interior designer, or you know, on the GC side or the contractor side, again, you're going down from the, from the PM to the super, to the foreman in the field. We have to manage our team's expectations. I can't tell you how often I hear, mm, well, I thought, mm, well, I assume, but, uh, but, but, but enough assuming, stop assuming. We need to manage those expectations. We need to understand what their expectations are the people that we're managing and we need to understand what their expectations are of us what do they expect to get from us to achieve our goal to hit a deliverable on a certain time to maintain a certain timeline to maintain a certain level of quality right we need to educate them on what our goal is if you're a gc your subcontractor probably doesn't understand the different parameters or requirements from the landlord or they don't understand um you know, the pain points of the, of the client, what details really matter to them. They don't, they might not understand who, whose perspective matters to them. Right. So if you're with a big client name, any sort of large company, uh, Google, Facebook, whoever, right. There might be an owner's rep or a project management type managing the construction project for them, but they're turning around and they're looking at their CEO and all of the you know, people that work at all of these stores as their client, right? So they have people to answer to. So when you create, when you educate everybody up and down the food chain about the perceptions that they care about, that can help manage the expectations so that everybody's on the same page. Right. So there are certain tools, there are certain concepts that I try to, again, I try to beat the drum with anybody that I work with to make sure that they're doing their part to manage expectations, whether it be from the client or whether it be for people on their team, all the way down to the technician in the field. So I have six, I have six ways. So six ways to manage expectations. Number one, Fires and fire hazards. I don't literally mean fires and or fire hazards. I'm not talking about like things getting engulfed in flames. What I'm talking about is things go wrong. People understand that. Clients understand that. Oftentimes when I speak with people in the field or I speak even with an architect or an engineer, they they say, oh, the client doesn't get it. They, they just say, they just slam their fist on the table and they say, push, push, push. I disagree. I rarely find that any sort of a client has an expectation that zero things are going to go wrong, right? They do business, whatever their business is, if it's not construction, shit happens, right? And they understand that. What they want to know 
are the fire hazards, right? Are we communicating those? We have to say, hey, this is in my control. This is out of my control. And they want to know when things do come up because in construction, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when a surprise is going to show up, when a fire is going to show up that we have to address. You want to have the extinguisher in your hand. You want to have a solution ready to propose before you bring that to their attention, right? So what am I trying to say? You don't want to be a person. You don't want to be chicken little. That's just crying that the sky is falling all the time. You don't want to be the little boy who cries wolf. You can't just bring problems to people's feet. That's no value. You're, you're just creating more turmoil in their day. You're creating more turbulence in their day. When you bring a problem to somebody's attention, whether it's a client or your sub or whoever, have a solution, right? Hey, I am not in control of the city giving me my permit on time. Here's what we can do to expedite. Here are the options. Hey, I don't know what's going to happen when I tear up this floor. I don't know. This building's 200 years old. I don't know if we're going to find structural issues. I don't know if we're going to do this or that. You know, I, I don't know. But here's what we can do. When a fire does happen, let's say you open up a wall um, or you open up a floor and all of the plumbing pipes are rotted everywhere. Okay, don't just call somebody and say, hey, <laughs> we have a problem. All the pipes are rotted. We're screwed, right? You got to have a solution in place. Well, what we can do is we can replace them with PVC right now. If we get the engineer on the phone and we can submit an RFI and and they can um, approve it. And I think that the cost is going to be this. I can either give you a proposal for that right now uh, for X amount of dollars, or uh, we can go on TNM at this rate. I think it's going to take two guys a week to, to fix all of this or to replace all of this pipe. And, you know, we can go, I'll, I'll charge you literally just what it costs with a small markup just to get it done. These are your options. That, those scenarios right there, again, makes your client, makes the people around you feel like they're in the passenger seat. We're driving as fast as we possibly can. There's going to be bumps in the road, but there isn't anybody else that I'd rather have driving me around the block. Okay. So. Managing expectations. Again, what hazards are out there? When the hazards do come up, what are the solutions that can get us over them to still achieve our goal? Number two. So number one, fire ha fires and fire hazards, right? You got to have a solution. You got to have the extinguisher. Number two is to educate. So again, we are the experts. If you're an engineer, you're an expert in mechanical, electrical, plumbing, structural. If you're an architect, you're an expert in in codes and requirements and why they can't lay out their spaces a certain way and why they want to have certain spaces against a window and what goes against the core and all of these things that they might not necessarily understand because they are not professionals, right? If you are a subcontractor, again, it might be the engineer, it might be the client, it might be the general contractor. Educate them on what you need to do to get the job done, whether it's permitting, safety procedures, order of work. Again, this has to happen before this can happen before this can happen, right? We have to dig a hole to put in our, our footings to, to then pour our foundation to then build structural uh, members on top of it to actually build a skeleton of a building, right? There is an order of operation there. Uh, what are the union rules? 
Okay, not everybody's in a union. If you're in a city and there's some sort of uh, restriction or bugaboo about when people can work um, on hours or off hours and what that costs, you know, a lot of the times clients will say, oh, I, I need this done at night. Nobody can be around. Okay, what is that impact, right? And that is the biggest impact that we need to educate on. Cost is always at, at the top of everybody's minds. So time is money and money money reflects success, right? Or success is reflected by how much money it costs. So when you're judging a project at the end, people are going to say, oh, was it on time and was it on budget, right? So always, always be looking to educate the impacts of the elements of the job, the impacts of the decisions that have to be made and what that does to your duration and what that does to your overall cost. And you got to do it in writing, right? Now, don't just go in writing. You obviously want to do it vocally. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second, especially with this next one. When you do educate, when you do have those obstacles, when you do foresee things that could go wrong or could happen and you're educating, you must communicate deadlines to everybody that is involved. Okay. If you have an RFI that needs to be answered, if you have a question of the design team, you need to give them a deadline for when they have to answer it. If you are designing a project and you have to get your, your drawings in for permit by a certain date, and you're waiting for a client to make a decision about, um, the layout of the floor or a particular finish that they want to see, or whether they want a ceiling or a grid ceiling, or whether they want some cool aesthetic, you know, wood grill ceiling, or they want nothing. They want an exposed deck with K13 and they want an industrial look. If you need a decision from somebody by a certain point in time, you need to communicate it with an impact. If I don't have a decision or clear direction on October 1st, then we can't get our permit. We delay the start of the project by a month. If we don't have a decision here, then you're not going to be able to bid out your job and get pricing from all of the contractors until uh, we have that, right? We, we've now met zero barrier and it's a day for day push. Every day you don't make a decision, consider your whole schedule pushed, right? Now, when you communicate these things, a lot of people will just send it out in writing in a text message or in an email and they'll assume, oh, I communicated, I did my job. That isn't enough, okay? Grab somebody's attention, say it to them. You don't want to blindside them with any kind of deadline, right? Because if we know one thing from any of our personal text messages, we will take something that's given to us in text the wrong way, right? So you don't want to feel like you're holding a gun to somebody's head. Nobody wants to feel like they have a gun to their head to make a decision. Well, if you don't do this, then I'm charging you right? That's how they'll hear it. So you have, you should call them and you should say, Hey, listen, I understand you're busy, but if I am to succeed in the manner that you want me to, to deliver the value that you need to deliver to whoever you report to, then I need a decision on X, Y, or Z. If I can help you make that decision or you need more information from me, I need to know right now. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. All right. I'm going to send you a notice about what we just talked about. I need you to respond. Okay. Boom. Now that's teamwork. Okay. Always communicate verbally 
so that people understand your tone. Okay. If you don't communicate verbally, here's what you got to understand. Communication has three elements. It has tone, it has content, and it has body language. Okay. Body language is 55% of that. Tone is 38% of that. What does that leave? 7%. 7% is the actual content of what you say. So there is a 93% margin of error when you communicate in text only. Meaning that if somebody can interpret it the wrong way, they are going to interpret it the wrong way. So at least if you have a phone call, in-person is best so that you get 100% of that communication over the phone is second best because you're at least communicating 45% of that. So there's a lower margin of error, but in an email, in an email alone, not only will they interpret it wrong, but there's a chance that they might see it because again, we are all busy. Okay. We've all had text messages that we forgot to respond to. Okay. We all have things going on. So always try to Always try to communicate that vocally first, in writing second. So first one, acknowledge fires and fire hazards. Educate your client. Give deadlines. Four, way number four for effective communication, share your interpretation. Stop assuming that you are correct. Okay, when somebody, there's a reason that when you go into court, there's there's three sides usually when there's an argument in court or people are trying to recollect like what happened in a fight or in like a murder case or whatever it's like there's one side the other side and then the truth because psychologically we all interpret different things differently we all remember things differently okay so when when you're having conversations with people when you're coordinating in the field with subcontractors when you're coordinating with an architect in a design room and you're doing overlays to make sure that all of your stuff fits in the walls and in the ceilings, or when you're coordinating with a client, whether it be the contractor and the client talking about things that need to happen in order to meet the date, or whether you're in you're a design team and you're in with the client and you know you need this and this and this to satisfy code requirements, or you like these colors, or you like you know you like this design, or you're going for this feel. Assume. If you're going to assume anything, assume that you misinterpreted something. You got to stop at the end. You got to recap. And you got to say, hey, here's how I'm interpreting this. X, Y, Z. Please confirm that what I just said is correct. And they should say, yes, it's X, Y, and Z. Oh, and don't forget A, right? This is critical. Everybody always has a different recollection of how things happen. That is why one of the things that I strongly suggest to anybody when they're in a meeting or they're having a phone conversation with somebody or they're on a Zoom call, even if you're walking around and you don't have a computer or a piece of paper in front of you, I hate paper. Stop writing on paper. Open an email and start writing notes in the email as people are talking. You're walking around a job site. Don't walk and write in your phone, obviously. Do it standing still, but, oh, that wall um, should be six inches over that way. Oh, there's a uh, touch-up paint is needed over here. Start writing those things down so that when you are done with that meeting, you go through it and you say, okay, here's what I have. Here's everything that we talked about. Did I miss anything? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, right? 
the second you walk away from that, that meeting, or the second that Zoom call ends, you hit send. Boom. Here's my notes. Here's exactly what was interpreted. And the last line in that should say, if I missed anything or I misinterpreted anything, please respond to this thread. Please let me know. Again, the further we get away from a conversation, the further we get away from an event, the foggier our memory gets. That's why I don't like writing on paper because when you write something down on paper, you forget what you were thinking when you wrote that note down. Okay. You forget what you were thinking when you wrote that note down and you don't just fold the piece of paper, lick it, slap a stamp on it, and then send it away as a record. You can do that with an email, right? So make sure that when you're in a meeting, you are writing it down or you are, you are transcribing the meeting. You then regurgitate that to everybody. And the second everybody says, yep, we're good. We're on the same page. You hit send. Boom. It's in writing. It's there forever. Now, the, the next part of that, because it doesn't always work that way, right? When you're talking to somebody, and this is really especially for people that you manage, I wouldn't necessarily do this to a client, but the fifth thing. So again, fires and fire hazards, right? Always have a solution. Communicate them and always have a solution. Educate your client. Deadlines uh, with the cause and effect. Number four, share your interpretation. Number five, make your team member say it back to you. What do I mean by that? I mean, look at somebody <laughs> with a total lack of trust. You might want to have a smile on your face so you don't they don't think you're calling them stupid. But Here's a better way to say it. Assume you may have miscommunicated or assume you didn't communicate clearly enough. Say, hey, Mr. Electrician, I want to make sure that I'm communicating clear enough or I want to make sure that I am communicating adequately. Tell me what we just talked about. Tell me what's going to happen this weekend. You guys are going to come in. You guys are going to you guys are going to uh, walk the job, make sure nobody's around. You guys are going to, you guys are going to shut the power off to the floor. Then you're going to shut the riser down. Then you're going to do all of your work on the switch gear. And then you're going to walk the floor again, make sure nobody's in, you know, you're going to go through your lockout tagout process, right? <clears throat> or it's a drywall guy. Okay. Hey, so I'm not in next week. What are you going to do? We're going to come in. We're going to close the walls on Monday. We're going to start taping on Tuesday. It needs a, a couple layers and it needs a couple days and it needs time to dry and then sand. So we're going to be taping for three days. We're going to sand on Friday so that your painter can come in on Saturday. Okay. Yes, that's exactly what we talked about, Mr. Drywall guy. So, and again, while this conversation is happening, you have this in writing in an email and you're just going to hit send right away. But you want to make sure that people, especially people that you're managing or you're coordinating with, literally paraphrase whatever your understanding is to make sure that you are communicating adequately. Can't tell you how many times I have learned the hard way that people walked away. I thought I communicated clearly. I thought that I made it idiot proof. I thought that I literally put the food in their mouth and moved their jaw up and down so that they could chew. All they had to do was swallow. And it just wasn't the case. Food wasn't even in their mouth. It was on the floor, right? Now, the last thing, and this is super aggressive. So again, 
we have six ways to manage expectations. Number one, identify hazards, obstacles, and surprises with solutions, cost and duration impacts must be included. Educate, educate your client, educate your subcontractors, educate your design team, educate other people on the design team. If you're on the design team about permitting, safety procedures, order of work, union rules, cost impacts, you think it, educate them, educate them on what you know. You're a professional. If they, if everybody knew what you knew, they wouldn't need you. Give deadlines with a cause and effect, both verbally and then in writing. Share your interpretation. Assume that you misunderstood everybody and you want to throw your, you're willing to throw your understanding of the situation out there and get picked apart or get constructive criticism and have the gaps filled in your, have the gaps of your understanding filled in by other people. Again, immediately send that out in writing. Number five, make your team say it back to you. All right. Tell me what the plan is so that I can confirm it aligns with what I have in my mind. And then again, send it out. Number six, put reminders on your calendar. We all have Outlook. We all have email on our phones. Put reminders on your calendar to follow up on these things. Okay, You might make a plan that's three days out, two weeks out, a month out, right? Or you might communicate a deadline to somebody that is a week out, two weeks out. Put a reminder on your calendar so that when that pops up, you go boom, and then you send an email out, you send a reminder out, you you follow up with a phone call. You're literally, I mean, we have the world at our fingertips with these devices, right? Use them and use them efficiently. If you have a reminder on one of the devices in your hand, then you are always two clicks away from following up on it. Now, you might say that you don't want to babysit somebody or that you shouldn't have to do that. But if you're trying to bring value to somebody and you're trying to help make sure that they're not dropping the ball, because that's who I want to work with. I want to work with people that are making sure that have my back, that want to see me succeed, that don't want to see, that don't want me to be the reason that things fail. Right? So set up those reminders for yourself. And if you want to go the extra mile, you can always populate somebody else's calendar. When you put that on your calendar, and you want to be diplomatic about this, right? Because you don't want to feel like you're micromanaging or you're wagging somebody's tail, as they say. But I just did this the other day. Hey, by noon on Friday, if we want to do this work this weekend, I need a decision on this change order. I put it up there and sure as heck, right at 12 o'clock, I got a phone call and then an email and we were we were approved to proceed. Work got done over the weekend, no problem. I don't think it's a coincidence that that got approved at the exact time that I set the reminder for or that that I set the calendar invite for and sent to them, right? So again, that last one's a little bit aggressive, but these are all things that are super, super, super important. Now, right now I am managing a few dozen projects and it's very tough. The projects are all over the country. Um, dozens of different team members, but the projects all have the same problems. The difference between the client being happy or satisfied or um, looking at the teams that they're working with and wanting to see them again, and they have called me and told me, hey, we want to see these people again. 
and the people that they don't want to see again is their ability to manage the expectations. They don't care. And they've, they've got a big stick to swing, big stick to swing. They do not care whether it's their fault, whether it's our fault, they understand stuff happens, but if we aren't raising the alarm and we aren't bringing that value to them to make sure that they're doing everything that they need to do to please their client or whoever they report to, then they don't see the value in working with us. So again, it's not about most clients, especially the ones with high standards. They understand stuff happens. It's all about communication and managing those expectations. So make sure you implement these tools, and I'm sure there's more. If we could think of more, reach out to me. We can talk about it. Make sure you're implementing these things on a regular basis because it will separate you from the majority of people that you would call competition. Now, uh, that's all I have on this topic today. Make sure you go to constructionmentor.org, new website, constructionmentor.org. We have different templates for pricing and for um, invoicing and for uh, RFI logs and submittal logs and all these templates, all these things that can help you, especially if you're a company that is younger or you want to start your own company, or even if you're not happy with your software. Listen, I, I've used over 40 different softwares in my day. And they just don't capture the nuance that I need to know. They don't speak to me the way that I need them to uh, in order to ma manage my projects effectively. So the those types of logs and tools that I use in my career, I have those available on the website. Uh, also, if you need to, you need a little bit of coaching, you need a little bit of help, whether it's with a resume, uh, trying to vet a company to see if an opportunity with them is a good idea, trying to... Um, get prepared for an interview. If you want to do an interview prep or a practice interview, or even if you just need coaching, Hey, listen, I need to know if I'm crazy. Hey, I have this huge obstacle. I don't know how to get over it. Or, Hey, I just simply want to know how to outperform everybody else that I'm competing with. Cause I want the next promotion. Go on, go on the website, schedule a mentoring session with me. I am more than happy to do it. Um, I look forward to doing it. I love doing it. And I hope to hear from you all soon.